Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of The Conversation for Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, the creator of The Conversation for Our Generation, where we are solving today's problems with the wisdom of the past. And today we're going to be looking into the nature of justice because in just some of what I've been doing recently, it's come up as a topic of reflection for me and I want to talk through some of the ideas that I have and put them out there and get people's feedback and start a conversation on this because I think it's an important thing to keep in mind, you know, what is justice? Because I think it is something that we feel intuitively, but often have trouble pinning down and defining it. We know when something is unjust, but are rarely fully able to articulate why. And so today I want to dive in to the principles of justice and how to apply them, at least as you know, best we can in the time we have here on the podcast, because obviously there is a lot that has been said over thousands of years about this topic, and I don't think I'm going to solve the problem here, but I wanted to walk through some of the ideas with you and see where we come to, because I think it's, again, an important thing to remember, to discuss, and to try to define for our society, and I think that with all the different monikers in front of justice that are out there, social justice, racial justice, and so on, it's important to recognize what justice itself is and why it doesn't need a moniker in front of it. Why it doesn't need a, or a modifier, I guess I should say, not moniker. Why it doesn't need a modifier in front of it. And so with that, I want to remind you, though, that you can find me on conversationofourgeneration.com. Go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash podcast in order to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is or on Twitter uh, at con of our gen or facebook.com slash conversation of our generation. <clears throat> and if you are looking for some good reading material, just search book review on conversationofourgeneration.com and you'll find a lot of great stuff. And if you buy those books through my links, that really helps me out, gets a little bit of a kickback from Amazon and helps me with just continuing to fund the growth of this show, pay for hosting, you know, stuff like that. So if you're able to go there, that helps. And if you're listening to the podcast anywhere right now, leaving it a five-star review, giving it a good rating, that stuff helps me out as well. Helps more people see it, helps more people share this. And if you're liking these episodes, share the podcast with someone. Even if you're just telling them about it, texting it to someone, whatever it is, that really helps me out too. And so before we hop into the quote of the week, I just want to throw a disclaimer that for whatever reason, my dog was howling all night, so I was up like every hour or two uh, trying to get him to quiet down. I don't know what it was, but I feel like uh, this must be what it's like when you have a newborn in the house, because literally every single hour. So I am definitely a bit groggy, a little tired, but we're going to power through it. So if I have some, you know, half awake moments where I say something weird, just let it slide for today, maybe. (laughs) Um, But I want to hop now over to the quote of the week, which is from Edmund Burke. And he says, it is not what a lawyer tells me that I may do, but what humanity, reason, and justice tell me I ought to do. And I think this is a good starting point for how we should discuss justice, which is laws are not necessarily just. And justice is not always only written into the laws. Now, there's a 
definitely a large correlation between justice and law, especially in a just society. If a if it is a good society, it should have just laws. <clears throat> but I think that there is more to it than, ju- than just that. There are eternal principles of justice that we have to discover and refine our understanding of over time. And I think that it's this idea of what does humanity, reason, and justice tell me I ought to do? Because I think it is looking at our nature, looking at our human nature, looking at our reason, looking at that reasonably, and looking at the world around us and how everything fits together with our reason, with our faculties of reason. And when you take those things together, I think you start to uncover what justice is, is as you look at the world around us, as you look at our nature and the role we play in the world around us, you start to uncover how we ought to live justly. And I think that that's something that most philosophers would agree with. (laughs) I think modernist philosophers may have some issues with that because of a tendency towards not being able to have an absolute morality, right? The idea of relativism. But I think that justice has an absolute to it. Just like I've written a blog in the past about, and I think I'm, I'll think I'll put that out today if I didn't know, if I didn't put it out yesterday, but it was called the asymptotic nature of, asymptotic nature of truth. And the idea is that we can't know all of truth. We can only move towards it. It's kind of an absolute, an unreachable absolute, because even if we can know everything that happens from here on out in a big supercomputer, we can track all that and keep track of everything. All the, you know, if the universe is ever expanding, the ever expanding number of things happening at once, right? Almost, it would feel like an infinite number of things happening at once. If we could even track all that in a computer and store that data, we still can't reach into the past and get all of that. <clears throat> and so the only place that that could exist is really in the mind of God. That's the only place that could hold all of the truth that there is in one pl- in one place. And so what we can do is move towards that asymptote, which is something that is basically for people who don't remember high school math it's basically a straight line that a an exponential curve comes up to but never reaches because it's basically it just goes infinitely and infinitely closer to that limit but that is a limit of knowledge and i think justice is the same way that there is perfect justice perfect justice that exists in the in the heart of god in the mind of god and we can't fully get that, but we can look at how justice is enacted over and over and over again and refine our understanding of it. And I think that the more we do that, the better off our society is, the better off the individuals in our society are. And it allows us to grow and become a more just society as we do that. And obviously there will be back steps and times when we don't fully live up to that or times when we maybe falter and backslide. But 
I think that overall, you can see that if you're working towards justice, we move towards justice generally. And that's what I think we should be striving for, is that working towards justice. Which is why today I'm going to be talking about how we strive towards justice, what it looked like in the past, and how it can look today, but not be changing the principles of justice, but simply changing how they're enacted due to new technologies, new institutions, and so on. So let's go ahead and now hop into what really brought this up for me. And I think, not I think, two things brought this topic to mind for me over the last few days. Uh, one is while my wife was out of town this weekend, visiting her family and friend up in where she's from in Northern Indiana, I was reading Plato's Apology and Crito, which are, one is the apology is the defense that Socrates gives at his trial. And Crito is the uh, a conversation that he has with someone about trying to escape one of his friends, Crito, and it's about him trying to get Socrates to escape his fate, his death penalty, and he's like, you know, he's saying, we can bail you out, we can find friends, and we can get you out of here. The other is the show Person of Interest, which my wife and I have been watching. I kind of watched some of this series when it first came out. My dad and I would, but I kind of revisited it because she likes crime shows, and I don't know if I can watch Law & Order SVU again, <laughs> uh, but it's not that I actually do like it. I do like all the cop shows too, so it actually works out really well, but I kind of was like, hey, try this because this is a little different. And I wanted to kind of see the ethical questions that are arising it that I could kind of recall, but I didn't fully have the faculties or the resources to assess those when I was in middle school and high school. I wasn't, I don't think, prepared to kind of dive into those. And so I wanted to look at that again. <clears throat> and person of interest has a lot of great ethical quandaries in probably every episode there's multiple but overall the premise is definitely one as well and we'll get to that in a moment but I think that you know, Plato's Apology and Credo are a look at how to face injustice with piety and this other is really a series on how to stop premeditated violence with a machine that violates our rights and I think it just made me wonder if there's something that ties together the principles of justice that Socrates was holding himself to and this this show was looking at as well. This show is kind of putting, you know, the voice of these characters into these ethical quandaries and trying to work them out as well. And so I wanted to look at that because I think that that's a really pressing problem that we have currently, and especially now with 
the lockdowns and contact tracing and all these things that we're talking about even more now that surveillance and what is okay to force people to do for the good of society. I think that that is, those are the questions that we've always had to ask about justice and always will have to ask. And I think that it's interesting to see this show ask those questions. And so for the apology, to give you a little bit of an understanding, what Socrates does is he basically mounts his defense knowing that it's an uphill battle, that kind of the jury's been stacked against him. He has friends in there, but for the most part, this up-and-coming politician is going after him for corrupting the youth and making them not believe in the normal gods. And despite the fact that Socrates basically just trounces these accusations and shows that they're false, he still is, at the end, sentenced to death. And so that happens. And then the following uh, book in this little, I have, it has like four of Plato's works. It has the Symposium, the Apology, Credo, and Phaedo, I think is how you say it. There's one other that I'm now forgetting. And I don't have the book down here with me to look at. But there's another one in there that's about him learning how to talk on the gods more expertly with one of his friends who he runs into who's prosecuting a case. Uh, So, but that's beside the point. So the apology, he mounts his defense and loses. And then Credo is, they're trying to persuade him to leave his dungeon cell and or prison cell rather and go into exile and the defense of his actions that Socrates gives for staying there you know his friend says is it not wrong to turn your back on your children let them be raised by someone else or whatever you know he starts kind of giving him hey here are these obligation that you have and Socrates says yes but and and he does this interesting thing where he says what would the laws of Athens say if they were here to cross-examine me and he starts walking through the arguments of you know well didn't he submit to the laws he the only time he left Athens was briefly on business or when he was serving in the Athenian military elsewhere he, so he fully subjected himself to the laws his whole life, thus turning his back on them now would be what he thought unjust. He had several other arguments as well about, you know, where would I go? If I go to another city, aren't they going to say that he's the one who doesn't respect laws, right? He's this person who's out there corrupting the youth or... You know, if I go to put myself under another set of laws, isn't that sort of lying in a sense? Because I really, I would have, if I had liked those laws in the first place, I would have chosen to live under those laws. I could have gone to, you know, Sparta or Thebes or somewhere else and, you know, been under their laws, but I chose Athens. And so I should submit myself to the authority that I am under. And at the end of it, 
his friend says, you know what, you're right, you probably have to do this because it is the just thing to do. And so as this unfolds, you can see how his conception of justice is largely about doing, I mean, really, it's it's sort of uh, similar to how the Bible describes righteousness. It, it's this giving the due respect to the society and to the laws and living under them in the right way, even when it means that you suffer injustice. Suffering injustice uprightly is a just thing for you to do. It is unjust to undermine the system of laws, in his opinion, when, just because you particularly are suffering an injustice. And I think that there's something to that. Even if you, you know, for people who listen to me who are more libertarian-leaning, I think they would say that an unjust law, breaking an unjust law, is, you know, just, or, or at least not unjust. But I think that what we can see is that there is a certain pain that you inflict on others when you undermine the laws. If there's people being able to, if people are able to fight any perceived injustice and in doing so undermine the law, right? Run away from prison or whatever it is. This, yeah, escape prison, escape the death penalty, uh, get their friends to pay off politicians to set them free, whatever that is. We can see then that <clears throat> the injustice that happens to those who are who don't have powerful friends, who don't, ha who aren't rich, who, whatever it is, is going to be even amp further amplified because the injustice, I don't exactly know how to say this, but when you can't find justice, when you can't get justice and you have to suffer the injustice of a system, it hurts other people for you to undermine that system in the process. And I think that there is one problem with kind of libertarians is, is that unless you're like beating someone up, you're not hurting someone. Unless you're stealing directly from somebody, you're not hurting from them or you're not hurting them in so many cases. But then again, they'll be the first to tell you that taxation is theft. And I think I agree. I believe that systems can inflict injury on individuals. I think that why Income, the income tax is the government stealing from every individual in our country, in our, based on democratic principles of electing representatives who are enacting these taxes. And I think that undermining the laws is kind of the same sort of thing as voting in a bunch of people who are going to tax you. <laughs> it's it's the same principle of when you turn the system, when you undermine the just justice of the system that undermines the justice for all. I think Martin Luther King had a quote similar to that, which I would butcher if I tried to remember it, but it's something like an injustice anywhere is an affront to justice everywhere, something like that. And I think that that's what the apology and 
especially Crito brings out is that <clears throat> the injustice to Socrates is a threat to justice, but the bigger threat would be to undermine the laws and in doing so start to actually live up to really his accusation of corrupting the youth, right? If he's out there escaping prison and going back and teaching again or fleeing or whatever it is, then now who are his students? What are his students going to do but undermine the laws of their city? And so I think these sorts of principles translate too into today's world where in this show, The Person of Interest, the premise, like I said, is this person built a machine that was meant to catch acts of terror, and in doing so, it started catching every premeditated act of violence, right? Because you never know if it's going to turn out to be terror, or if it's going to turn out to be domestic abuse, or what. So it caught everything, and so this guy found an ex-CIA operative. This all happens in the first episode, so I'm not ruining anything. Uh, he finds an ex-CIA operative who... Uh, he gets to work for him and helps him or they, and together they basically save people from being the victim of a crime or potentially stop them from being a perpetrator of a crime. And so, and they don't really know which one they're going to be. The machine just gives them a social security number and they don't know if it's the victim or the perpetrator. And so, that's the premise. The ideas behind it, though, are that it has this kind of, I mean, I think it was in the, started around 2008 or 2009, so right after the market crash, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on still about surveillance and you know social media coming up and using that in a couple episodes later on as those got bigger. And what it tries to do, I think, is instead of saying surveillance is good, it's once you're given this tool, what do you do? Because the tool is out there. The government was using it. There's no stopping that injustice. So what then can you do with this, what I would say is an unjust thing, right? I think that constantly surveilling people all across the country all the time, or really all around the world, all the time, is unjust. I think that it is a violation of your basic right to have privacy and to not be uh, not be watched in your own home, right, by your computer, or listened to by your computer, and all of those things. Your phone, everything that, now, obviously, there are some ways in which that we uh, allow ourselves to get our put our information out there in certain places on these devices, but I think it's important for us to still be able to have our privacy. If I want to put my computer and everything in the other room and I'm downstairs and there's still something like my printer's listening to me or something, that's, that's just not good. <laughs> and that's kind of how this show is set up with the... Uh, the machine and how it works. And then these guys start saving people and 
working to prevent people from, you know, committing an act of violence as well. And I think that that is good. I, I, I think that once the genie's kind of out of the bottle on that, and you can't put it back in, well, then now there's this tool out there that people are using for whatever they're using it for. How do you use that for good? And I, But I also am wondering, on the premeditated side of thing, things, if... I guess stopping something from happening is always okay, right? But you have to be careful at that point to not convict somebody of of a crime before they commit it, if that makes sense. Um, if someone's thinking about doing something or planning on doing something, then they still haven't done it. They still deserve... Uh, They're still innocent of the crime in some respect. Now, this show will catch people in the middle of attempting murder, right? We'll stop them while they're doing it and stuff like that. Now, obviously, you have an attempted murder charge. But it is just very interesting to see how the push and pull between these two guys working. Because what they have to do is they have to break into people's apartments and kind of do spy operations in a way so they'll like break into people's apartments go through their files hack into their bank accounts all things that are illegal (laughs) they do a lot of illegal things in order to save people's lives and see what they can muster up and so they work with a couple cops who one's kind of a dirty cop the other one is like pristine you know totally by the book, perfect, you know, perfect record kind of cop. And they both sort of have a different reaction to working with these guys. The dirty cop is just kind of like, oh, it's just another thing that I'm leveraged into because he kind of got into it by having to, uh, he was supposed to off the ex-CIA guy and dump him in the river, basically. In like, I think the first episode, second episode, something like that. And so he flips him and makes him uh, his asset. And then the other cop, they just kind of approach because she was investigating him and saying that like, even though he's stopping these things and, you know, helping people in some way, he's also going around and shooting people in the kneecaps in order to stop people and breaking and entering and... And doing all these different things that are obviously things you should be arrested for. And so the question is, in this show a lot, is are those things justified? And I don't fully know, actually. I think some things maybe. I think some things might not be. And it's hard to tell <laughs> from, ta- you know, from, I think that, you know, his surveillance of somebody following somebody to make sure that they don't get hurt, right? And just following them around on the streets, seeing where they go, seeing who they interact with, to make sure that they don't get murdered or murder somebody, I think is justified. Now breaking and entering and, you know, hacking into their personal files or things like that, I don't know. You know, if you can call a cop and get reports and background checks on people to get a little bit of information, okay. I think... 
if the cops willing to give it to you, I guess getting that, I mean, you know, if you're applying for a job, you can get that information, right? Your company can. So I think that that's something that's fine by me, but I just, I think that there's definitely things here and there that just make you feel uncomfortable about the sensibilities because it, it often has this, uh, ends justify the means sort of idea. And I think they try to quell that a lot. You can see that they try not to do that, but there are times where that comes out because of an emergency situation and you have to make a split decision rather than a, you know, smart premeditated one. And that is, that, that just, I think, adds to the com- complexity of it. And so I guess to kind of summarize, which I know we went a million different directions this episode, but I think that what we can say is that injustice as a means to justice is out of the question, right? That we can't undermine our system of laws. We can't do, you can't kill somebody. You, I, I guess you can't kill an innocent person to save an innocent person, right? If they say, if someone says, hey, Nick, you need to go kill this person on the street. Otherwise, we'll kill this person. Well, I can't go actively do that. But you can, obviously, if someone is threatening your life or threatening the life of someone else, I think you can hop in and defend defend somebody who's in imminent danger. But that's where you kind of have these quandaries where you know that justice is to live rightly, to be upright and righteous and in line with the way you ought to live your life individually, but also how you should live your life in relation to your family, your society, your obligations. And that's what justice is, is living rightly for yourself and in relation to others that you are forced to interact with based on living in a society. And I think that the particulars of justice and what is and isn't just will develop over time, but I think the eternal truths of what justice is resonate throughout the millennia, as we can see from the fact that apology (laughs) and credo written, what, 2,500 years ago, something like that, have the same principles that we're calling on today to ask the questions about this uh, this show that has modern surveillance you know, and all these technologies that were not there 100 years ago, for the most part, let alone 2,500 years ago, and it still has the same, it still resonates, I think, with us. And that's the beauty of justice, is that you can still read something so ancient and 
connect with the people who are in it because it is a story that just transcends time that is really eternal and something that we always want to go back to and try to understand so that we can avoid that injustice for ourselves and for our society. So thank you for listening to this episode and I hope that it was interesting kind of asking these questions together and trying to understand the particulars but I think this will be something that we'll have to dive back into because there's much more to be said on this topic and so thank you for listening definitely go to conversationforgeneration.com slash podcast to subscribe go to conversationforgeneration.com in general to browse around see what else is going on out there and twitter at conofargen facebook.com slash conversationforgeneration to subscribe on social or follow on social and keep up with the latest that's coming out and thank you for listening to this episode of the conversation of our generation let's get the dialogue going Talk to you next week.